Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. For today's episode, we're releasing a conversation that we recorded in collaboration with Kurt Frankum from Leading Saints. Our guest was Paul Peterson, the CEO of the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. When we released episode 65 on OCD and scrupulosity with Bonnie Young about a year ago, we were astonished at the number of people that reached out to us to share their own experiences with OCD. Some had been diagnosed and knew what to call it, but others related their own experiences without ever having understood that what they were suffering from was OCD. Latter-day Saints often start by explaining its symptoms in religious language or looking only to religious solutions to solve it. Chances are, there is certainly someone in your life who is struggling with OCD, and it could be much more severe than you might have imagined based on the depictions of OCD in the media. As you'll hear from Paul, OCD is a very serious mental illness, and it's very, very common for OCD sufferers to experience severe depression and even suicidal thoughts. This episode was originally created as part of the Single Saints Summit, which focused on the experience of unmarried members of the church. And you'll hear references to those experiences specifically, but the conversation was very broad in its scope, and we thought that Paul did as good a job as we have ever heard truly articulating the experience of someone with OCD and the science-backed way to treat it. To those who are listening who are suffering from OCD, we want to emphasize that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We know that when you're in the depths of it, that feels impossible, but please understand that qualified specialists really can treat OCD to the extent that it becomes nothing more than a nuisance. It doesn't have to rule or ruin your life. And of course, if you know someone who may be suffering from OCD, please feel free to share this episode with them. Since OCD has affected our lives so deeply, we want to spread as widely as possible any information that can lead to the diagnosis and treatment. Thanks as always for listening, and now we'll jump right in. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Single Saints Virtual Summit. Uh, today we have quite a group on here, uh, joining us some co-hosts, some presenters, and uh, my name is Kurt Frankum, and I'll have the opportunity to be one of the the hosts of this session. And we have Tim and Aubrey Chavez from the Faith Matters uh, podcast, and uh, which were joining efforts to to create this the summit. And so, uh, Tim and Aubrey, how are you two? Great, great, thank you. Good to see you, Kurt. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, Paul Peterson, who is our uh, our guest expert, I guess you could say. And Paul, I'm, I'm, we're glad that you're part of this discussion today. Yeah, I'm excited to to talk with you guys today. Awesome. That. Now, just uh, you know, we're we're going to turn some time over to Paul to do a presentation here, and then, uh, but Tim and Aubrey, you may remember our discussion we had with them during the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit, where Tim talked about his. His experience with OCD, and they also have a, a child that um, has OCD. And and Tim, your experience is more in the context of scrupulosity or religious OCD. Is anything you'd you'd add to to that? Or yeah, no, that's right. Uh, no, for sure. Um, I think the, the time that it affected me most was on my, was on my mission, and obviously missions can be very uh, rule oriented environments. And so the scrupulosity there <laughs> for me was was fairly severe. Um, it's continued to affect me throughout my life, but um, and, and in many different ways, if you sort of like looked at the laundry list of ways that OCD can manifest, I would I would say that I've probably touched on almost all of them, uh, but in, you know, it, with varying levels of, of severity. Um, that being said, there are, uh, I, I think the, the things that Paul's going to talk about are exactly straight down the middle, what's really helped me and has helped 
our child that you've that you've mentioned with OCD. So I'm, ex- I'm extremely excited to hear what what Paul has to say. Yeah. And uh, as we were putting this together, I first came in contact with uh, Amy, who we were hoping to have on this this recording, but there's some connection issues. So we'll definitely loop her in either in a separate recording or later on. But she brought up this concept that I'd never heard about, which is relationship OCD. Now, I don't believe, and Paul, you can, you'll talk more to this. I don't think that's a specific diagnosis per se, maybe just a different way that OCD is, is manifest in life. So Paul, uh, I'll pass the time over to you. Maybe you can unpack some of these concepts, especially in the context of, of single adults, since that's the, the theme of of our uh, of our uh, summit here and maybe how it impacts them and their relationships and whatnot. So uh, maybe give us some of your background and then let's go. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm Paul Peterson. I actually am the CEO of the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center, where we've got a, a, a location in South Jordan and one in Bountiful. And where my journey really started was where my own son was struggling with OCD. Uh, and it was... I, I I was a therapist at that time, and I was using all my little techniques that I had learned, but they weren't working with him. And and that also he was 18 months old, and and his symptoms got really terrible, and I was desperate to help him, and I stumbled upon the International OCD Foundation.org website, and if you have OCD you should go to their site. They're a nonprofit. They are the hub of all that is OCD. So any true specialist with OCD are affiliated with them. I kind of see them as like the National Association of uh, Hearts, you know. Um, If a heart doesn't, doctor isn't a member, they probably shouldn't be working on your heart. And, but I, I ran into them and then truly like two to three weeks later, I found myself in Washington, D.C. at, at a conference, and um, and it was life-changing. I think this was around 2009, 2010 or so, and, and uh, I came back, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've been ruining my clients. I, I was using all these techniques that everybody told me that I should use, like two pauses for negative. Let's breathe. Let's teach you how to change your thinking process. Let's reassure you. Let me explore your past and look at how that connects. It didn't do anything. I remember my supervisor even said, oh, get a rubber band and have them flick their wrist and that will help neutralize their feelings. (laughs) And uh, it didn't work. Um, And in fact, actually, I, I remember using these techniques with client after client and ah, I would make them feel so good when I'd use these techniques, but they would only last as long as until they got to their car and then their brain reset and and it was back to square one. And what I learned from this conference was that, that what we're really dealing with is not necessarily a mental health issue. We're dealing with a physical health issue. And I actually have a scan that I want to share with you guys. And in this scan, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can see it on on the screen there. Perfect. So as you can see here, um, here is a normal control. This is somebody who doesn't have OCD. This is a, and then this is somebody who has OCD. You can see the frontal cortex is just lit up like a Christmas tree. So much energy. And But here's the thing is all those other people that you hear saying, oh, I'm so OCD. Well, guess what? This is what their brain looks like. They look like the normal control brain. And, and so what we're dealing with here 
is a physical health issue. Now, when somebody who, you know, I mean, everybody on this planet has heard of OCD, but they don't understand what that actually means. See, OCD, so we know there's this men, this, this uh, physiological issue happening. In fact, it really stem, as far as we understand, it stems in the amygdala, and which is the fight or flight of, 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 of our brain. And, and it sends this message incorrectly to the frontal cortex. So when somebody says, oh, I'm so OCD, you say, wait a second. So are you, are you afraid? Are you worried? Are you concerned? And they may be like, well, no, I just like things straight or I like things organized. And it's like, oh, you don't understand what OCD actually is. See, people who have OCD, they call them the silent sufferers. Have you guys ever heard of that term before? <laughs> the silent sufferers. And, and, and I remember the first time I ever heard this, I'm like, oh, that's, that's quite uh, a big word <laughs> to, be, to be using. And the more I got into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, they, they do. What happens is this person gets an intrusive thought. Now, what's interesting is these thoughts are the same type of thoughts that everybody else has. The only difference is their brain is not filtering that thought like everybody else's brain. So using a scale zero to 10, 10 being the highest level of distress I could feel, zero, not feeling anything at all. Here I'm minding my business, all of a sudden I get this thought, that everyone else gets, except the only difference is my brain just shot up to a nine, a 10, a 12 out of 10, redlining. And here's the thing is you typically in life, you don't feel something for nothing. So if I feel a 10 out of 10, because I walked past a little child and I think, oh my gosh, did I want to hurt that child? Well, I'm LDS. <laughs> I want to do what's right. And is that the spirit guiding me, telling me that maybe I did something? I mean, I got a 10 there. 10 is pain. You know, you get the, the adrenaline rushing through your brain, your body, your arms, your face, your heart's racing. It hurts. So somebody who has OCD, it hurts. Now, here's the other difference is that the rest of the world who doesn't have OCD, they can get triggered. Something, a thought can come in their head or their mind and it, woo, it, it sparks them. But on average, that emotion lasts between 7 to 20 seconds. And then it's over. And we move on. But somebody with OCD, they could feel it for a whole hour. Have you ever had a 10 out of 10 that lasted one entire hour? How about a day? How about a whole week? How about if that lasted one whole month? You're at a 10 out of 10 or you're at a 7 out of 10. It is just not stopping. How about a year? How about a years? And the thing is, is that this, for, for mostly people, they can't tell you what they're worrying about because you might freak out. You know, you know, there are, you know, you talked about relationship OCD. There's lots of subsets of OCD. OCD, there's one OCD. What you worry about, and this is a very important thing for anyone listening today. If you do have OCD and your brain is triggering and it's not stopping, what you worry about is not your problem. Your problem 
is that your brain is lying to your or your body and saying that something is happening that is not actually happening. And because it hits to the reasoning part of the brain, it feels so real. And that's where you've got your obsessions. They obsess about things, but then there's the compulsions. And the compulsions is like, they've got to know. In our facility, we, we, we uh, trademarked the term live uncertain. Anybody who truly has OCD, the idea to not know, it's, it's the kryptonite. They have to know. And so when somebody does that compulsion, it's not because of, oh, they're low, so silly. You know, oh, it doesn't hurt at all. No. Think about it. If you were terrorized, your feelings awful, horrible emotion rushing through your body, and you are trying to figure out, wait, did I, did I hurt that child? Wait a second. Maybe I was standing over here. Maybe I was thinking this. Maybe and I'm, I'm trying to create that certainty. And until I can create certainty, I will continue to suffer. And so I will do a compulsion, the compulsion. Now, and here's another thing is that so many people think that OCD has to do with physical things like checking, counting, washing. And I'm telling you in our clinic, 5%, maybe 10%. Nah, I won't even say 10%. Any between five and less than 10% have those. And the rest are these mental obsessions and mental compulsions, or they become physical, but they don't even realize they're becoming physical because they hurt. Uh, they got to create some level of relief. And, and, and it becomes almost addictive to try to get that relief. So when somebody says, oh, I'm so OCD, you're like, oh, so are you terrorized? And it goes on day after day? No. And that's one thing I've tried to educate people like you, that is so, you don't even realize how disrespectful that is to somebody who actually has OCD. It's so painful. And the reality is the world has no idea. They watch Monk and they think Monk is funny because he does all these things. But if you actually watch Monk and you pay attention to him, he does not think it's funny at all. He is absolutely suffering. Tony Shalhoub, he nailed it. He nailed it perfectly. He did his homework to, to know what somebody feels with OCD. And then what's so sad is what it's done is train the world to think it's funny and they laugh at it. And in fact, actually, I had uh, two, two winters ago, I saw this lady, she had this shirt and says, I'm so OCD. It had an acronym, Obsessive Christmas Disorder. And I walked up to her and I shouldn't have done this. I repented since, <laughs> but I walked up to her and I said, where'd you get your shirt? And she said, oh, I found it online. I'm like, oh, I want to get one that has a cool acronym. Like I am so downs, like down syndrome. And she said, that's not very funny. And I said, neither is yours. Can you imagine making fun of down syndrome? <laughs> Nobody would tolerate it. <laughs> they, they, would, they would go irate, but somehow OCD, it's just funny. It isn't funny, it's serious. And here's the thing is that, like I said, what you worry about is not the problem. The problem is the brain's triggering incorrectly. And so what could somebody worry about with OCD? It's irrelevant. So if you're going to a therapist and you're trying to explore that, you're wasting your time. It's irrelevant. What is relevant is your brain just shot up an eight when anybody else who had that exact same thought would not have shot up. 
I mean, I personally have had terrible thoughts. I've had horrible thoughts. Could I push that person off the bridge? Could I have an affair? Could I, you know, could I hurt somebody? Could I run somebody off the road? Could I plunge this knife into somebody's back? I've had those thoughts. The only difference is when I have those thoughts, they last for like half a second. I get no anxiety at all about it and I move on. But the person with OCD, they do. And so there is one, uh, you know, you talk about relationship OCD. Well, relationship OCD is, like I said, is just that sub subtype. You know, you, you, maybe you're in a relationship and you get, you know, you have the same thoughts. Like even me, the night after, you know, I got married and I looked at my wife and I'm like, oh my gosh, did I make the wrong choice? And I probably was like a one or a two. And it lasted for like 10, 15 seconds. And then it was over. But somebody with relationship OCD, they may be like, they're a 20 out of 10. They look at the person and they're like, oh my gosh, am I attracted to them? Do, do I think that, do, do I feel in love with them? Do, could I spend the rest of my life with them? And they start doubting it. And there's actually, uh, there's, there's a, a, a specialist who coined the term, the doubter's disease. OCD is called, they call it the doubter's disease. You truly doubt everything. Because truly, if, if all of a sudden I'm an eight out of 10, that this thought just said, oh, you might've just touched this person inappropriately. Like, wait, did I? I I'm an eight right now. The last time I was an eight, that car was jetting towards me and it was, va it was valuable to have that eight. But it's not because what people will find out is that um, all these things that have consumed their brain, overtaken their life, has never actually happened. These terrible things like, okay, so if you get into the wrong relationship and so what? Do you love them or do you not? Like, why do I need the same feeling as if somebody's running at me with a machete when I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I attracted to them? And that's the thing is like I've, I've worked with so many LDS uh, members who, uh, who, who are in their 30s or 40s, never got married because relationship after relationship after relationship, they've burned them out. That they, they could have married them. They should have married them. But what happened is that they started doubting it. They were terrified. That emotion's there. It's not going away. And then when they're out of a relationship, they typically don't have any of those feelings again. And they're like, oh, a reprieve. But then they get in a relationship, bam, I'm questioning, I'm, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I'm not sure, what if? I call it the four F-bombs of, of, of OCD. I'm worried, I'm concerned, I'm not sure, I'm wondering what if. Like most people who don't have OCD, they're not living that. They're just living life. They live in the moment. But the brain wants you to be in the past or it wants you to be in the future. And I'm telling you, if you read the scriptures, there is none that says, thou shalt focus on thy future. Thou shalt beat thyself up all the days of thine life. Through terror, fear, and worry, and concern, you'll know the truth of all things. <laughs> That's not what it is. You know, God is not going to scare you to death to be obedient. And, and so kind of going back to... Um, the, you know, lots of different OCD. So like um, 
there's harm OCD. I'm worried that I'm harming somebody mentally or physically. There's pedophile OCD. I'm worried that I'm going to sexually abuse a child. There's homosexual OCD. I'm terrified that I might be gay or transgender. I might be transgender. Or I've actually even worked with somebody who's transgender and they were worried that they were, they were straight. Like the brain, whatever you care about. I actually have said this for years. Uh, OCD is like this parasite. It goes into the core of who you are. It finds what you value the most and then exploits it. And so what do you care about? Well, and that's the thing is that this is what I care about today, but somebody with OCD in a week, in a month, in a year, the topics change, but the tear, the fear, the worry, the concern that they have doesn't. And so it's like, oh, this one that used to hijack your life doesn't hijack your life anymore, but this one does and it hurts just as much or even more. And in fact, what we've found is that people, when they're doing their compulsions, they actually are confirming threat. They're confirming there's value to what they're worried about. And the problem is, is that the brain thinks it's doing a good thing for you then. You know, I'm protecting you. And so what we find is people with OCD, it's kind of like ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. But over time, it, it, get, it goes to a slight up and it just gets a little worse, a little worse, a little worse over time. Um, plus, as you get older, your ability to deal with stress becomes less. I think some people believe it's the myelin sheath around the nerve endings start to thin. And, you know, that phrase, you know, my nerves are shot, my nerves are thin, thinning out. I, it's a real thing. But nonetheless, like... Um, uh, so anyway, so going back to different types, you know, so I mentioned the harm OCD, how about, um, uh, sensory OCD, you know, just, you know, I'm worried about different, uh, emo or uh, feelings or, or sounds. Um, how about there is contamination OCD, but let me tell you a new one. Most people just think that this is just about washing hands, but did you know, there's emotional contamination there. Um, is also disgust that is not about getting sick that they're worried about uh, that is just gross and they have the same feeling as somebody's running at them with a machete because this gross thing might be near them or emotional contamination like oh that city there that that person I've got to, that thing I've got to be away from um, and again I get that large huge emotion that rushes through me that confirms there's value to it and so, um, oh, and then another one uh, that I was asked to talk about was scrupulosity. Now, a lot of people in the church, you know, you'll see they'll have scrupulosity. I'll tell you, my experience has been that scrupulosity is not there because you are a member of the church. Scrupulosity, again, it goes to what you value. So this, I'm valuing being good, doing good. And so it's going to attack that. But I have lots of people that uh, scrupulosity is not it. Um, it's, it's, oh, I'm worried about putting my baby in the oven and I got to go check my oven over and over and over. I'm worried about putting my cat in the oven or in the refrigerator and I got to go check my refrigerator. And, um, but scrupulosity is interesting. You've got a moral or, or spiritual form of scrupulosity. And so it doesn't all have to be uh, 
spiritual. There can be the, just the moral. I've had people who don't even believe in God. They're like, oh my gosh, why do I have scrupulosity? I don't even believe in it. <laughs> I don't even believe, you know, I don't care. I think we're going to go back to dust to dust, you know, and that's it. That's the end. And why do I care about whether I lied or didn't lie? And so, but scrupulosity, you have things such as, did I just put that thing in my pocket? I feel like I might've stolen it. Or, you know, did I tell the truth? Did I tell the whole truth? They may feel like, oh, you know, they may feel like they need to go talk to their bishop. And by the way, I've talked to so many people. They've talked to their bishops over and over and over. And the bishop is trying to help them. And 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 because, and the reason why they do it is because, you know, here they'll purge all this information. The bishop's like, yeah, that's not worthy of anything. <laughs> like you're, you're good. You're fine. And they feel so much better. They get that relief. And that's what happens. That, that's part of that compulsion is sometimes they get that relief and it, it reinforces the desire to do that when they're in that state of being. Well, they get that relief, but then their brain, because of the malfunction is still there, they, uh, they go, they, they've got to go back because their brain will be like, did I tell him everything? Maybe I didn't tell him this. And if I had told him this, would he have said this to me? Maybe he would have actually would have punished me had I given him the full story. So I go give him more of the full story. And then I leave and I feel so much better. But then the brain goes again. And then I got to go back. I got to go back. And in fact, I'd say the one of the, the first person I ever worked with OCD when I wasn't treating it correctly, he actually had been in the MTC for three days, burning out his branch president because of something that he had done, which was like this little itty bitty thing. And three days later, he had to leave. And for what? Because he was such a good person. He wants to do the right thing, but <laughs> doing the right thing there wasn't it wasn't important i mean it's, it's, it was irrelevant and so with scrupulosity uh well it, yeah so you know, and then um it can hit just lots of different ways now i'm going to tell you there is a treatment for ocd if you understand okay this is what my ocd this is what i got this is what i'm feeling there is a way out and I'm going to be honest with you is that very few people on this planet have the skill set to help somebody who has OCD. Um, it's interesting. You go to the International OCD Foundation. They, they, they did a study several years ago, and they found that um, it takes anywhere between 14 to 17 years to find somebody who actually has the capacity to help you. Um, there's, it's that infrequent because, you know, when we go to school, they teach us, David Burns, 10 Forms of Stinking Thinking. Uh, let's do emotional, um, you know, oh, let's, you know, emotional regulation. Let's do all these other things. They're irrelevant. You know, it's not going to help. I mean, I, I, I had a, some, I had, I talked to somebody a little bit ago who, you know, their bishop was telling them they just need to serve more. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like my mom has congestive heart failure. And that's what I do to her when she's, you know, feeling really dizzy. I'm like, well, have you served today? <laughs> you know, nobody would be like, wait, are you really telling me to serve? And that's going to make my heart better. It's irrelevant, although it's a great thing to do, but it's not going to change the problem. And so, but what will change the problem is exposure and response prevention. It is scientifically proven to be the most 
a beneficial treatment than any other. So if you are going to treatment for OCD and they're not doing exposures with you, it's not going to do anything. I, I promise you, you will go to therapy for decades and, and it is nice to have somebody championing your cause. It's nice to have somebody who gives you um, encouragement, who tells you that they are going to help you. But by the end of the time you're with them, I guarantee you, you would be able to say what they did was maybe awesome. I love my therapist, but it never changed what was happening in my brain. Do exposure and response prevention correctly. Your brain will begin to change. And so what the idea is with exposure and response prevention is that we need to change the way you react to scary things. We need your brain to learn that it's just being duped. You know, think of it this way. If somebody had had um, schizophrenia and they see somebody, maybe they've got a 16-year-old girl following them around as a hallucination, yelling at them, screaming, and um would I tell them like, man, have you talked to her about how that makes you feel? No, talking to the hallucination isn't gonna do anything. Um, and I, OCD, it's not schizophrenia. You know, you're not, you know, you're not seeing things, you're not hearing things, but you feel it. You feel it just as real as somebody who does have schizophrenia he feels they're seeing somebody. It feels so real. The difference is that somebody with schizophrenia, they actually have zero insight. They actually do believe it's all true. It was like, oh, yeah, I went to the train depot, smashed two trains together, killed everybody in it. I felt terrible. And you're like, mm, how did you do that? You're too small. C calling me a liar? <laughs> That's schizophrenic. OCD is like, I think I might have crashed the trains. I think I feel like I might have. I, I, you know, I... I need to just go check to make sure, you know, it's like the hit and run OCD. I've got to go check to make sure I didn't go hit things or go look and see things. But anyway, so these exposures, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to expose myself to my fear in a, in a methodical way. And as I do that, what will happen is my brain is going to trigger. <laughs> it's going to say, what are you doing? This is bad news. Like, what if you, what if you become that person? What if you are that? What if you, that thing does happen? But what if you don't change it? What if you do nothing to neutralize that emotion? Well, what will happen is your brain will say, didn't you feel that seven out of 10 I just gave you? Maybe this eight or nine will make you change your, your way. You know, just go check or go do that thing or ask that thing or think that thing. And just to make sure you get that relief. But what if you don't? Well, what happens is the, be the brain begins to learn something new. And, and, uh, and a lot of times this habituation thing happens where that distress level will actually come down. We're not necessarily looking for that to be, it's just a nice side effect most of the time. But what's cool is I do it a lot. And that's the thing is that I've got to chain my brain to react differently. So if I did one exposure today, one tomorrow, one in four days from now, I can't expect that anything's going to change in my brain because, you know, how many exposures do I need to do before this doesn't bother me? You know, how many over here, how many do I need to do before this not bothering me? How about the, on the whole spectrum? I can just be doing this one and this one random, randomly just doing and they're not bothering me. And that's that's what what happens. But you have to do it 
a lot because you are, it's like a physical therapy to your brain. You're changing the way your brain is reacting to the scary things. And so, uh, so we do that and, and we create randomization. In fact, actually in the last two or three years, inhibitory learning is a huge uh, breakthrough, which is creating randomization in your, in your exposures, which most people don't know about it. But if they're research based in their treatment, they will. And it's been a it's been a game changer for for us to to at our our, our facilities to do that. And so, um, you know, so let me give you an example of of an ex, of an exposure and, and specifically to scrupulosity. So let's say my fear is that I am having um, Maybe I'm having sexual thoughts about Jesus. That's actually un, un, uh, amazing how often that one happens. Well, a, an exposure might be that I am going to do an imaginal where I maybe just have a or have a picture of Jesus in my mind, and I'm just going to look at Jesus. And no matter what happens when I look at that picture of Jesus in my mind, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to do nothing to neutralize. I'm going to just focus on that. And there's different things we'll do to help, you know, like hook statements, hook them into really focusing on that, not letting their brain get any level of relief. Um, and we'll do that until that doesn't really trigger them. And then um, we get to a point where that when that thought comes in, I can be like, huh, yeah, because guess what? Other people, even listening to this who don't have OCD, when I just said that, they probably could have just had a thought like, huh, inappropriate thing with Jesus. Eh. And they move on. <laughs> they might even actually had an image flash in their brain for a moment. But because their brain didn't trigger, they move on. Somebody with OCD, they didn't move on. And so, um, you know, these exposures are amazing. And, and being able to have somebody who holds you accountable, somebody who, who knows who will sit down and do them with you or even go out to the community. We call them in vivo exposures. Go out and go to the place where you need to, to do some of these exposures is amazing. And so um, I wonder if you guys have any questions for me or. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, that was that was fantastic. I'll I'll lead off with questions if that's okay. But Paul, yeah. I'll, I'll just say first, thank you so much. That was like so comprehensive and so yeah. real. So thanks for thanks for sharing sharing all of that. Um, when when I think about the the subject of this summit in particular, um, it sort of resonated when you were saying uh, whatever you care about the most is I don't know how you, I don't know how you said it exactly, but it's sort of what OCD is going to attack. And I I felt that very I have felt that very keenly in, in my experience with OCD. You know, as an example, on my mission, it was the most important thing for me to be pure yeah. so that I could have the spirit so that I could take the gospel uh, to the people that needed it. And so OCD would attack my purity in, you know, a variety of ways, whether that was yeah. sexuality, you know, harm, whatever, it would, even contention, things like that. And, and it was when you were like going through, what about what if you felt that for an hour? What if you felt that for a day? I was like, what if you felt that for two years? Because that was that was me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. And then later on, when I was applying to grad school, and I've mentioned this on our on our podcast, but that that became the most important thing for me in that moment was to was to get into the school that I'd always wanted to go to. And I, after I had applied, I became completely convinced. Well, not convinced. It was it was the doubt. It was like I, about about wondering um, if I had cheated on my on my application essay through oh, getting wow. it edited by yeah. a friend. 
And this drove me absolutely, absolutely crazy. Um, and I mean, Aubrey really helped me through this. I, I was ready. I was like basically composing the email to the Dean of Admissions saying like, hey, I cheated. Like, I'm going to leave this in your hands, which obviously is a totally crazy thing to do. But like, it was the only resolution that I could see, which, you know, obviously means that something was going on yeah. in my brain that didn't make any sense at all. Um, but again, back to the sort of the subject of, of this particular conversation, I would imagine that, it, especially in the church for single people, for a lot of them, their, maybe their top priority in life is to find their partner and get married. And so if that's true, that OCD attacks um, things that, that are most valuable to you, would, yeah. you, would you expect for many, many single Latter-day Saints that relationship OCD is sort of where it, where it attacks? Absolutely. That, that it is, is, is this, this doubt you know, and here's the thing is that, I mean, again, like I said, if, if they really want to know if they're dealing with relationship OCD, it's very simple, is that when they look at that person and then they start worrying about it, does it feel the same as if somebody's running at them with a machete? Mm-hmm. And they probably have our mm-hmm. relationship OCD. Because because here's the thing, the other 98% of the people in the world who are in that exact same situation, they're not feeling that intensity. I mean, why in the blinky blinkers and do I need that much emotion, even if it were true? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why should I? And so if I'm doubting, like, because here's the thing is, like, if, 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 I, if I don't like them, well, then I don't like them. But, but man, but then, but then I do like them. But, but every time I don't, it hurts. It's conflict. It is the world disappears. And, all, and I am so focused on this. And in fact, I would actually say, I, I, you know, this is not truth, <laughs> but I feel like this Satan's plan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> OCD wants you to avoid doing anything, you know, to like, it, it, like if I can just hold you stuck in your life forever, then great. And that's what it is. Like my wife, she actually made this most amazing analogy for me. She's like, oh, my OCD is like a forest. And I go in this forest and there's a thousand trees and all of these trees are meant to be climbed and experienced and, and maybe fallen out of and reclined and grow. And I grow from this experience, but my brain is stuck on four or five trees. And that is where I like year after year after year, I keep losing like all these experiences. And I look at everyone else and they're climbing trees. They're fine. Why are they climbing trees? What's the difference? And I'd say the difference is, is that they don't have OCD. And so these single people, you know, if I am so like I'm in this relationship and I'm so totally obsessed about it and I'm not really living life and enjoying life, it it makes begs the question of whether whether they're stuck in relationship OCD. Yeah. And I'm curious, Paul, like one thing with this is, you know, creating this session, I definitely don't want to, you know, anchor the the mind of leaders to think like, oh, they, they sort of have a hard time staying in a relationship. There must be some OCD there. Right. So how common, like if you're just, just just statistically speaking in a, in a sacrament meeting of 250 single adults, what percentage of them are actually going to experience OCD and maybe even relationship OCD? Five to six, five to six of them have OCD. Okay. 2%, 2%, 2.2 depends on who's doing the study. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so this shouldn't be some blanket like, Oh, well you, you should go see somebody about OCD yeah. just because yeah. they're maybe struggling with relationship. That that's correct. And um, those bishops who, who see 
somebody for the 15th time in a year about the same topic, I can guarantee you it's OCD. There's no reason why I need to talk about the same thing and just give more detail each and every time. Um, but yeah, so you, yes, not everybody has has it. But I do think that there are other things. So you've got generalized anxiety or social anxiety, and that can also be have similar feelings uh, in massive, huge emotion for the wrong experiences. So like, oh, I look at somebody, they look at me and I get the same feeling as if somebody's running at me with a machete. Again, not supposed to happen. And so I think that can uh, impact people's ability to get in relationships because I'm, I've already decided in my brain, which is neutralizing how somebody thinks and feels about me without them ever actually having, without them ever even having a conversation with them. And so, yeah. I wanted to ask you also, Paul, I, a lot of the examples that you gave me, me think of how, you know, if, if you didn't have this paradigm of OCD, if you don't know that you have OCD yet, I feel like we have all the language we need to describe that experience of OCD religiously. And so I wonder if that makes it more difficult to recognize. And, and I wondered if you could um, address specifically like the steps to repentance, because I get that you were talking about something so different, but I just wonder if you had nothing to compare it to, you would think you were just following the steps of repentance. You were recognizing oh, yes. that you did something wrong. Then you go confess it. And then you have this resolve to never do it again. And like you make restitution and there's your compulsion, you know? And so I, how do you tell? And, and I think this is my same question with anxiety too. You know, how do you recognize the difference between warnings of the spirit and a prompting of the spirit and these totally different, you know, real physical um, like illnesses? Well, I think that sometimes God can push urgency to somebody, but he doesn't push urgency off and on all day long, every week long, every month long, all every year long. Like if you, mm. if you talk to somebody, you know, just a general person in the church, they would say, yeah, I've probably felt that level of urgency with the spirit really urging me like once in my life. Why? That's a great point. Like, how many times have you felt urgent? Like, the spirit's like, oh my gosh, you need to go, and your kid is, you know, hanging off off a limb, and they are. Yeah. Once, twice. It's not a daily occurrence, and when it is, that's not what the rest of the world is experiencing. Yeah. Something different. That's a great point. Let me. Let me. Uh, oh, sorry, Aubrey. You well, I was just gonna say. Okay, don't forget what you're gonna say. I was just gonna. I, I think. I just want you to stay here for one more second. I mean, is that how you recognize? Because it's so tricky the way it changes that like something that you finally can totally define as OCD yeah. goes away and then there's a new thing. And it seems like because certainty is always priority number one, of course, the first question is, is this really OCD this time? And it's always going to be like, probably not. No, this time it's real. Like this time this is yeah. all these feelings are legitimate. And so, so is that your litmus test? Like, is it, is the intensity itself the actual litmus test? That's it. So here's the thing is the topic is irrelevant. The topic doesn't oh, yeah, matter. Yeah. We don't yeah. care about the topic. So, but I care about what you feel. That feeling over and for so long and so, I mean, two years of suffering because <laughs> you want to be a good guy, you know? And yeah. Like, I'm sorry, that's just not what's supposed to happen. And so, yeah, again, the average person, have, do you have anxiety that lasted one whole hour? I had a child die at birth. And at most, I probably was like one or two minutes of anxiety. And then it would go away. And then maybe an hour later. But I did not have one whole day of pain-wrenching 
anxiety it within that time when we were in the hospital we laughed we joked we cried we laughed we joked we cried we felt anxious we laughed we cried i mean lots of emotions yes. but somebody has anxiety it is one emotion it is one emotion and it's a lot and uh, like i said um it shouldn't happen that often and, and if it does why like god that's not show me a scripture that that's how god rolls Right. It's so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me. And actually, my my question was was quite similar, but to just take it from a slightly different angle, I I imagine that there are uh, listeners right now listening to this podcast that or this uh, this summit that are thinking maybe like it might be a glimmer of hope. You know, like do, is it possible that I have OCD and that I'm not actually a psychopath or that I'm not actually yeah. a pedophile? Um, and I think one of the fears and like, but I, I'm worried that they'll, they'll listen to this and be like, no, you know, these thoughts that like you're, like you're saying, they're so, they're so real. And like, part of the fear is if I go into a therapist and say what I'm, say what I'm thinking, like I'm going to be carted away in handcuffs. Oh yeah. So how oh, do you yeah. like, what just, do you have words of encouragement for people that are feeling that maybe slight yeah. glimmer of hope, but yes. it's not quite enough to like actually go. Yes. Well, I would tell you that like these, these fears of harm or, being a pedophile, like one in three people with OCD have those. They're, they're that common. And it's like, I've, I've heard it over and over again. You know, they're terrified. Like, I don't want to tell somebody because I will go to prison um, or, or, or I'm going to lose my membership or I'm never going to live the life I'm supposed to live. And I would say that you, go to somebody who is actually specialized. They don't do anything else. This is what they work on. They're not going to behave that way because they're like, oh, yeah, you worried about um, sexually abusing your child last night? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You might be like, oh, shoot. Because the therapist is going to know, well, guess what? A pedophile who sexually abuses a child, they're excited. They, the only time they're terrified is when they think that somebody saw what they were doing. Somebody who has pedophile OCD, they're terrified that they might have liked it or, or, or not liked it. They might have done something or might have wanted to do something or maybe they felt a sexual feeling and they're just so traumatized by that. And so the hope is that just go to somebody and do a test. If you just do a talk, that's not enough. You have them do the, you know, they need to give you the Y box, the Yale Brown OCD inventory. It's an amazing one. It's a self um, self one. You can actually probably find it online. Come to, go to our website. You can find it on there. It's a beginning. And, it, and, and, uh, so I'd say just, if you go to the right person, then you're not going to have a problem. And the right person is ask them, you know, there's actually seven questions on the international OCD foundation website. And these seven questions, Hey, if you do ask these set questions, they can't ask, say yes to all of them. Don't go to them because they won't be able to help mm -hmm. you. And so that's the way it's like, hey, I don't, don't have to disclose anything that's, that, that they're worried about. Ask those seven questions. If they can, they got it. Could you take a minute, Paula, and just explain what's happening? You mentioned the, the frontal cortex, but I wondered if you could just explain what is getting stuck there. And, you know, you said, you said it's a physical illness. So I think it might be useful to just understand, like, what, what is actually happening in the brain that, that allows anxiety to last this long and with this intensity? Um, so, so it's one person, uh, the specialist guy explained it to me as though it's like this filter 
and the, the 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 filtering is not it's just not doing what it's supposed to do and because of not it it does it's that amygdala keeps on reacting it's sending um uh, adrenaline it's activating mm-hmm. the part of your brain that releases adrenaline and then um and it just keeps happening keeps happening and then the feeling of uh that that you get you know the the, the reasoning part of your brain just it just it just it just circles over and over again um it's it's like they're working against each other but for each other and and so um and but here's here's the here's the interesting thing is that i've worked with so many people who really want to understand why 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 and i'm telling you it will do nothing. It's like me, if I could understand why did my daughter die? Do I get her back once I figure it out? It's a, it, it is a farce to believe that, that by exploration, I'm gonna actually get better or feel better. I won't, all it will do is maybe give me relief if I can get some resolution. But with, but with OCD, it resets. The brain resets within seconds, minutes, moments. Wow. Yeah. So, Paul, I'm curious, uh, you know, just from what I've learned from Tim and others is that, you know, maybe in a leadership context, someone coming to a bishop or not, that the natural response is to reassure people, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, this, this isn't a bad relationship. He's a great guy. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you're worrying about these things, yeah. you know, and and I mean, that seems completely natural to do. So I'm curious, yeah. like, and obviously if they need that help, with OCD, you know, it's probably not going to get solved just in the bishop's office. They need to refer yeah. to someone like you. But so what might this sound like in the context of a bishop's office? And what, how yeah. could maybe a, a leader respond to someone who's really struggling with doubt mm-hmm. in, in a relationship context? Well, so, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so the bishop is not the professional. The bishop is there to help their spiritual being, right? And what they um, what they need to do is encourage them to get uh, get support from a specialist. That really is because what will happen is they'll just get gobbled up by all these things that this person is saying. And and I'm telling you that person when they're going to that bishop, it all sounds so legit. It's serious. And it's going to be talked as it's serious, but then they come back again the next week or two weeks later, or a month later, and they're asked talk about the same thing again and the same thing. So what the bishop can say is, hey, you know, this is now the third time that you come in or second time or 15th time you come in. You know what? This is bigger than than a conversation with me. This is this is something that you need to work with a professional on on because this is this is not about the relationship this is about what your brain is doing <laughs> at, least, mm-hmm. at least that's yeah. what i thought so go to a professional <laughs> and so yeah. that's helpful and, and it sounds like that's maybe the red flag that leaders could look for is like the repeated attempts of like you know i thought we you brought the same concern about this relationship before and yeah. and again i don't think you know obviously the bishop's office typically people are going for transgression yeah. purposes but maybe from time to time they're struggling with deciding if this is their eternal mate right and uh, yeah. they may take it there but. yeah and that's the thing is like you know 
unless they come back and they are truly sharing brand new information, you know, like, oh, yeah, actually, this did happen. I didn't tell you it the first time. And that's a big deal. (laughs) Like, okay, that's very different than like, well, let me change the semantics on how I shared it the first time and see if you have a different approach to respond to me with. (laughs) Because I feel like you would maybe say something different this time. Yeah. I I remember um one therapist telling us that um ERP is so good for anybody, you know, even if you don't have OCD that this is something that that is just kind of a healthy practice to stop leaning into anxiety and just get used to just this idea of totally ex- accepting thoughts that yeah. come and go, you know. And so I I wondered if there are other things that you um imagine our community working on I, I think we have we talk about certainty like it's really a value and are there are there ways that you think we could make our community as a whole OCD or not um, just a healthier place yeah. mentally I think we need to like even starting in our own families that we need to recognize what's going on because a lot of times we we see we focus on the behavior but we don't focus on the actual problem so like my kid they won't let me leave the nursery because they're screaming and crying they've got separation anxiety well but i'm focusing on that behavior not like oh my goodness maybe there's actually something bigger than them that's happening in their brain and so i think that as a community we can encourage or in, in our families and community we can encourage people to to face fear because i totally agree with you i think exposure and response prevention is actually part of god's plan (laughs) god did it he wants us to climb those trees he wants us to risk the possibility of falling out of them i don't know what the end is going to be but i do know that that staying in a protected space goes opposite of why i'm here i'm here to be tested to be tried to have experiences to grow who I am today is not who I was 20 years ago. 20, 30, when I was 17 years old, I moved out of my parents' house. You know, my, I don't know, my parents and I were fighting all the time because I, I'd stay up to like two or three in the morning on a school night. I had no idea what my parents' problem was. <laughs> you know, I look back at it now I'm like, oh my gosh, my poor parents. I can't believe it. I'm not that same dumb 17-year-old. And and you know how can i grow if if i'm preventing myself because i'm so afraid and so again like community what they can do is encourage people to even to get into treatment like stop talking about it stop talking will not get it better doing something about it will get it better so i think instead of laughing and thinking it's funny or or thinking that they should be able to deal with it I mean, that is like, I think as a community, we have more compassion and stop seeing anxiety or OCD as the world portrays it. It isn't what they think, what they portray. It isn't funny. And it's not all under your control that I'm sorry, you're, you know, like somehow the world believes a physical disorder uh, is an acceptable excuse for why something, why you can't do something, but a mental health issue, there is no excuse. You need to try mm-hmm. harder. You need to do more. You need to read your scriptures. You need to be more obedient. You need to really. And if that person had a compound fracture, would you say, oh, did you write in your, in your journal about it? So yeah. that's going to make their arm better? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank awesome. you. Any other this questions from our panel here? I think I'm set. This has been so fantastic, Paul. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Glad to, this is great. To be here. Paul, the, um, 
I guess I got one more question for you before we do that. Uh, if people do want to, uh, you know, be, get more familiar with your, uh, your clinic, your resources and the, the treatments you offer, where would you send them to learn more? They can just go to our website, the OCD and anxiety treatment center or call 298 2000. That's our phone okay. number, but, um, and, and we're not the only ones who know how to do it. People do. You just have to work hard to find who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last question I have is imagine you're a room full of bishops, Relief Society presidents, maybe family members of, of single adults. Uh, in the context of relationship OCD, what final encouragement would you give them? <clears throat> what I would say is that that the the people they're working with, they will never like in that moment when they first before they've started treatment, will never be able to comprehend being past this, beyond this. But through treatment, but when they get to the other side and these things are not bothering them, they're able to get through things so much faster and they're not suffering every day. Silent sufferers, right? <clears throat> and so what's held these, these brethren, you know, or leaders is get them into treatment. Um, <clears throat> and even though they don't, they, they have people who are going to be so skeptical, guess what? They can live productive lives but that productive life isn't going to come by the traditional way that the world says it. And so get them, get them into treatment. Stop talking. Like, again, they can keep on going to the medical issue. Like, I'm sorry, but if I, you ask that same question and they said, but they have a metal bar sticking out of their head, what would you tell these leaders? I tell the leaders, you should probably encourage them to go to the doctor. Yeah. Like what else am I supposed to do? They can need to go to the doctor just because you can see the metal bar doesn't actually mean it's, it's worse than somebody who has OCD where their brain is lit up like a Christmas tree for days or weeks or months or years on end. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. Great. Thank you. So, that thank was, you so much, Paul. That was amazing. Yeah. 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 Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We really hope that you found it helpful. We're leaving links to the resources mentioned in the show notes, including to the website of the International OCD Foundation, where you can search for qualified OCD therapists, and to Paul's organization that's operating in Utah, the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. Again, if you have a loved one who may be suffering from OCD, please feel free to share this episode with them. And if you yourself are an OCD sufferer, we're sending our love and asking you to please utilize the resources listed, as we have. We know that they can change your life. Thanks always for listening to the podcast and remember you can check out more at faithmatters.org.